Chapter Fourteen of the Hidden Hand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Hidden Hand by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter Fourteen. The Wasting Heart. Then she took up the burden of life again, saying only it might have been. Alas for them both! Alas for us all, who vainly the dreams of youth recall. For of all sad words of lips or pen, the saddest are these: it might have been. Whittier. By the tacit consent of all parties, the meteor hope that had crossed and vanished from Mara Rock's path of life was never mentioned again. Mother and son went about their separate tasks. Traverse worked at jobs all day, studied at night, and went twice a week to recite his lessons to his patron, Dr. Day, at Willow Hill. Mara sewed as usual all day, and prepared her boy's meals at the proper times. But day by day, her cheeks grew paler, her form thinner, her step fainter. Her son saw this decline with great alarm. Sometimes he found her in a deep, troubled reverie, from which she would awaken with heavy sighs. Sometimes he surprised her in tears. At such times he did not trouble her with questions that he instinctively felt she could not or would not answer. But he came gently to her side, put his arms about her neck, stooped and laid her face against his breast, and whispered assurances of his true love, and his boyish hopes of getting on. Of making a fortune and bringing brighter days for her, and she would return his caresses and, with a faint smile, reply that he must not mind her, that she was only a little low-spirited, that she would get over it soon. But as day followed day, she grew visibly thinner and weaker. Dark shadows settled under her hollow eyes and in her sunken cheeks. One evening, while standing at the table washing up their little tea service, she suddenly dropped into her chair and fainted. Nothing could exceed the alarm and distress of poor Travers. He hastened to fix her in an easy position, bathed her face in vinegar and water, the only restoratives in their meagre stock, and called upon her by every loving epithet to live and speak to him. The fit yielded to his efforts, and presently, with a few fluttering inspirations, her breath returned and her eyes opened. Her very first words were attempts to reassure her dismayed boy, but Travers could no more be flattered. He entreated his mother to go at once to bed, and though the next morning when she arose she looked not worse than usual, Travers left home with a heart full of trouble. But instead of turning down the street to go to his work in the town, he turned up the street toward the wooded hills beyond, now glowing in their gorgeous autumn foliage and burning in the brilliant morning sun. A half hour's walk brought him to a high and thickly wooded hill, up which a private road led through a thicket of trees to a handsome grey stone country seat. Situated in the midst of beautifully ornamented grounds, and known as Willow Heights, the residence of Doctor William Day, a retired physician of great repute and a man of earnest piety, he was a widower with one fair daughter, Clara, a girl of fourteen, then absent at boarding school. Travers had never seen this girl, but his one great admiration was the beautiful Willow Heights and its worthy proprietor. He opened the highly ornate iron gate and entered up an avenue of willows that led up to the house, a two-storied edifice of grey stone, with full-length front piazzas above and below. Arrived at the door, he rang the bell, which was answered promptly by a good-humoured-looking negro boy, who at once showed Travers to the library upstairs, where the good doctor sat at his books. Doctor Day was at this time about fifty years of age, tall and stoutly built, with a fine head and face. Shaded by soft, bright flaxen hair and beard, thoughtful and kindly dark blue eyes, and an earnest, penetrating smile that reached like sunshine the heart of any one upon whom it shone, 
He wore a cheerful-looking flowered chintz dressing-gown, corded around his waist. His feet were thrust into embroidered slippers. And he sat in his elbow-chair at his reading-table, poring over a huge folio volume. The whole aspect of the man, and of his surroundings, was kindly cheerfulness. The room opened upon the upper front piazza, and the windows were all up to admit the bright morning sun and genial air, at the same time that there was a glowing fire in the grate to temper its chilliness. Traverse's soft step across the carpeted floor was not heard by the doctor, who was only made aware of his presence by his stepping between the sunshine and his table. Then the doctor arose, and with his intense smile extended his hand and greeted the boy with, "'Well, Traverse lad, you are always welcome. I did not expect you until night, as usual, but as you are here, so much the better. Got your exercises already, eh?' "'Heaven bless you, lad. What is the matter?' inquired the good man suddenly, on first observing the boy's deeply troubled looks. "'My mother, sir, my mother,' was all that Traverse could at first utter. "'Your mother? My dear lad, what about her? Is she ill?' inquired the doctor, with interest. "'Oh, sir, I am afraid she is going to die,' exclaimed the boy in a choking voice, struggling hard to keep from betraying his manhood by bursting into tears. "'Going to die?' "'Oh, pooh, pooh, pooh! She is not going to die, lad. Tell me all about it,' said the doctor, in an encouraging tone. "'She has had so much grief and care and anxiety, sir. Is there any such malady as a broken heart?' "'Broken heart? Pooh, pooh! No, my child, no. Never heard of such a thing in thirty years' medical experience. Even that story of a porter who broke his heart trying to lift a ton of stone is all a fiction. No such a disease as a broken heart. But tell me about your mother.' It is of her that I am talking. She has had so much trouble in her life, and now I think she is sinking under it. She has been failing for weeks, and last night, while washing the teacups, she fainted away from the table. Heaven help us! That looks badly, said the doctor. Oh, does it? Does it, sir? She said it was nothing much. Oh, doctor, don't say she will die. Don't. If she were to die, if mother were to die, I'd give right up. I never should do a bit of good in the world, for she is all the motive I have in this life— to study hard, to work hard, and make her comfortable and happy, so as to make up to her for all she has suffered, is my greatest wish and endeavor. Oh, don't say mother will die. It would ruin me, cried Traverse. My dear boy, I don't say anything of the sort. I say, judging from your account, that her health must be attended to immediately. And, true, I have retired from practice. But I will go and see your mother, Traverse. Oh, sir, if you only would. I came to ask you to do that very thing. I should not have presumed to ask such a favor for any cause but this of my dear mother's life and health, and you will go to see her? Willingly and without delay, Traverse, said the good man, rising immediately, and hurrying into an adjoining chamber. Order the gig while I dress, Traverse, and I will take you back with me, he added, as he closed the chamber door behind him. By the time Traverse had gone down, given the necessary orders, and returned to the library, the doctor emerged from his chamber, buttoned up his gray frock-coat, and booted, gloved, and capped for the ride. They went down together, entered the gig, and drove rapidly down the Willow Avenue, slowly through the iron gate, and through the dark thicket, and down the wooded hill to the high road, and then as fast as a sorrel mare could trot toward town. In fifteen minutes the doctor pulled up his gig at the right-hand side of the road before the cottage gate. They entered the cottage, Traverse going first in to announce the doctor. They found Mrs. Rock, as usual, seated in her low chair by the little fire, bending over her needlework. She looked up with surprise as they came in. "'Mother, this is Dr. Day. Come to see you,' said Traverse. She arose from her chair, and raised those soft and timid dark gray eyes to the stranger's face, 
where they met that sweet, intense smile that seemed to encourage while it shone upon her. "'We have never met before, Mrs. Rock, but we both feel too much interest in this good lad here to meet as strangers now,' said the doctor, extending his hand. "'Traverse gives me every day fresh cause to be grateful to you, sir, for kindness that we can never, never repay,' said Mara Rock, pressing that bountiful hand, and then placing a chair, which the doctor took. Traverse seated himself at a little distance, and as the doctor conversed with, and covertly examined his mother's face, he watched the doctor's countenance, as if life and death hung upon the character of its expression. But while they talked, not one word was said upon the subject of sickness or medicine. They talked of Traverse. The doctor assured his mother that her boy was of such fine talent, character, and promise, and that he had already made such rapid progress in his classical and mathematical studies, that he ought immediately to enter upon a course of reading for one of the learned professions. The mother turned a smile full of love, pride, and sorrow upon the fine intellectual face of her boy, and said, "'You are like the angel in Cole's picture of life. You point the youth to the far-up temple of fame.' and leave him there to get as he can? Not at all, madam. Let us see. Travers, you are now going on eighteen years of age. If you had your choice, which of the learned professions would you prefer for yourself? Law, physic, or divinity? The boy looked up and smiled, then dropped his head, and seemed to reflect. Perhaps you have never thought upon the subject. Well, you must take time, so as to be firm in your decision when you have once decided, said the doctor. Oh, sir, I have thought of it long, and my choice has been long and firmly decided, were I only free to follow it. Speak, lad, what is your choice? Why, don't you know, sir? Can't you guess? Why, your own profession, of course, sir. Certainly, sir, I could not think of any other, exclaimed the boy, with sparkling eyes and flushed cheeks. That's my own lad, exclaimed the doctor enthusiastically, seizing the boy's hand with one of his, and clapping the other down upon his palm. For if the doctor had an admiration in the world, it was for his own profession. That's my own lad, my profession, the healing art. Why, it is the only profession worthy the study of an immortal being. Law sets people by the ears together. Divinity should never be considered as a profession. It is a divine mission. Physic. Physic, my boy, the healing art. That's the profession for you. And I am very glad to hear you declare for it, too. For now the way is perfectly clear. Both mother and son looked up in surprise. Yes, the way is perfectly clear. Nothing is easier. Travers shall come and read medicine in my office. I shall be glad to have the lad there. It will amuse me to give him instruction occasionally. I have a positive mania for teaching. And for doing good. Oh, sir, how have we deserved this kindness at your hands, and how shall we ever, ever repay it? cried Mrs. Rock, in a broken voice, while the tears filled her gentle eyes. Oh, pooh, pooh, a mere nothing, ma'am, a mere nothing for me to do, whatever it may prove to him. It is very hard, indeed, if I am to be crushed under a cartload of thanks for doing something for a boy I like, when it does not cost me a cent of money or a breath of effort. Oh, sir, your generous refusal of our thanks does but deepen our obligation, said Mara, still weeping. Now, my dear madam, will you persist in making me confess that it is all selfishness on my part? I like the boy, I tell you. I shall like his bright, cheerful face in my office. I can make him very useful to me, also. Oh, sir, if you can, and will only make him useful to you. Why, to be sure I can, and will. He can act as my clerk, keep my accounts, write my letters, drive out with me, and sit in the rig while I go in to visit my patients. For, though I have pretty much retired from practice, still— Still you visit and prescribe for the sick poor, gratis, added Mara, feelingly. Pooh, pooh, habit, madam, habit— 
ruling passion strong as death, etc. I can't for the life of me keep from giving people bread pills. And now, by the way, I must be off to see some of my patients in Staunton. Travers, my lad, my young medical assistant, I mean, are you willing to go with me? Oh, sir, said the boy, and here his voice broke down with emotion. Come along, then, laughed the doctor. You shall drive with me into the village as a commencement. Travers got his hat, while the doctor held out his hand to Mrs. Rock, who, with her eyes full of tears, and her voice faltering with emotion, began again to thank him, when he good-humouredly interrupted her by saying, "'Now, my good little woman, do pray hush. I'm a selfish fellow, as you'll see. I do nothing but what pleases my own self, and makes me happy. Good-bye. God bless you, madam,' he said, cordially shaking her hand. "'Come, Travers,' he added, hurriedly striding out of the door, and through the yard to the gate, before which the old green gig and sorrel mare were still waiting. "'Travers, I brought you out again to-day, more especially to speak of your mother, and her state of health,' said Dr. Day, very seriously, as they both took their seats in the gig and drove on toward the town. "'Travers, your mother is in no immediate danger of death. In fact, she has no disease whatever.' "'Oh, sir, you do not think her ill, then? I thought you did not.' from the fact that you never felt her pulse or gave her a prescription, exclaimed Travers delightedly, for in one thing the lad resembled his mother. He was sensitive and excitable, easily depressed, and easily exhilarated. Travers, I said your mother is in no immediate danger of death, for that, in fact, she has no disease. But yet, Travers, brace yourself up, for I am about to strike you a heavy blow. Travers, Mara Rock is starving. Starving? Heaven of heavens, no! That is not so. It cannot be. My mother starving? Oh, horrible, horrible! But, doctor, it cannot, cannot be. Why, we have two meals a day at our house, cried the boy, almost beside himself with agitation. Lad, there are other starvations besides a total lack of food. There are slow starvations and diverse ones. Mara Rock is slowly starving, and in every way, mind, soul, and body. Her body is slowly wasting from the want of proper nutriment. Her heart from the want of human sympathy her mind from the need of social intercourse. Her whole manner of life must be changed if she is to live at all. Oh, sir, I understand you now. I feel, I feel that you speak the very truth. Something must be done. I must do something. What shall it be? Oh, advise me, sir. I must reflect a little, Travers, said the doctor thoughtfully, as he drove along with very slack reins. And oh, how thoughtless of me! I forgot, indeed I did, sir, when I so gladly accepted your offer for me to read with you. I forgot that if I spent every day reading in your office, my mother would sadly miss the dollar and a half a week I make by doing odd jobs in town. But I did not forget it, boy. Rest easy upon that score. And now let me reflect how we can best serve your good little mother, said the doctor, and he drove slowly and thoughtfully along for about twenty minutes before he spoke again when he said, Travers, Monday is the first of the month. You shall set in with me then. Come to me, therefore, on Monday, and I think by that time I shall have thought upon some plan for your mother. In the meantime, you make as much money at jobs as you can, and also you must accept from me for her a bottle or so of port wine, and a turkey or two. Tell her, if she demurs, that it is the doctor's prescription, and that, for fear of accident, he always prefers to send his own physic. Oh, Dr. Day, if I could only think you were right, cried Travers. Pooh, pooh, nonsense. There is no time for it. Here we are at Spicer's grocery store, where I suppose you are again employed. Yes? Well, jump out, then. You can still make half a day. Mind, remember on Monday next, December 1st, you enter my office as my medical student, and by that time I shall have some plan arranged for your mother. 
Goodbye. God bless you, lad, said the good doctor, as he drove off and left Travers standing in the genial autumn sunshine, with his heart swelling and his eyes overflowing with excess of gratitude and happiness. End of chapter 14